And uh, Tronimo was known as a raider, as an invader. He would practice what we might call today guerrilla warfare. He would invade the camps of American soldiers or of Mexicans. He was kind of he kind of fought against both, and uh, it was both lucrative financially, and uh, but it was also a strategic part of warfare in getting rid of us gringos. And uh, so Geronimo, Geronimo became, that name uh, became synonymous with risk-taking. Geronimo would do crazy things. He and his men, he usually led between 30 and 50 warriors and they would go up against insurmountable odds, take out three, four hundred thousand. Of course, that gets spun by urban legend that, of course, he would attack and him and 20 guys would kill over 50,000 people. These are the kind of urban legends that were spreading uh, in the late 1800s. He was captured and held as prisoner for many years of his life uh, as an enemy of the state. And... Uh, he was paraded around to many fairs and captured the hearts of uh, all kinds of North American people and in Europe as well. Kind of a big deal if you could go see a real live Native American. So he captured the hearts and the imaginations of little boys who played cowboys and Indians. Geronimo became synonymous, again, as I said earlier, with risk-taking. And in both, uh, both world wars, but particularly the second world wars with the advent of paratroopers, they made it their tradition when they would jump out of the plane, terrified as they may be, these young recruits strapping on a parachute for the first time, they would line up and jump out of the plane and they would shout. Yeah, you've, you, you're aware of this. You guys want to preach? Like... <laughs> You're doing a great job. Um, hence the name of the song. Shepherd uh, has written and performed this song, Geronimo. It's about risk-taking. The context of the song is about a relationship that was almost lost. And if there was any hope of making this relationship work again, it was going to take some risk. So say, Geronimo. Say, Geronimo. Say, a little repetitive, I, I get it. But I want to pick up on the essence of this song and just share some thoughts with you today for a few minutes on Geronimo faith. This is the last, I think, uh, message of the God Through My iPod series. So we want to talk about really entrepreneurial, risk-taking, radical, dare I say, biblical faith. And so we're just going to look primarily at one scripture uh, from Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, some of you would know this already, is what some of us call the Heroes Hall of Faith. The writer of the epistle to the Hebrew, Hebrews, probably the Apostle Paul, that's up for debate, but not this morning. We'll just say it's Paul. Uh, he writes and he talks a lot about some of these heroes of the faith. He basically just takes a little walk through history and visits some of the characters of the Hebrew or Israelite Jewish faith. Hebrews chapter 11, um, 
Paul opens with some very familiar thoughts, but I want to focus on verses 8 and following and follow a very simple outline as per usual. I want to talk about functional faith, flexible faith, forward faith, faith over futility, faith to Father, and fulfillment. This morning's message is brought to you by the letter W. (laughs) But it's disguised as an F. Mm. You guys okay? You good? Seriously, you good? Could you seem a little... Has Randall kind of thrown you off this morning? Is that what it is? Guest worship leader. Daryl, it was a tough crowd this morning, eh? Look, Daryl's even left. <laughs> well, he's not even here. <sighs> Hebrews 11. Let's look at these scriptures. Verse 8 says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and went even though he didn't know where he was going. I want to talk to you, first of all, for a couple of minutes about functional faith. Faith that kind of leaves you complacent and doing the same thing all the time, just being a perpetual creature of habit, kind of stuck in a rut. I don't think that really captures the essence of biblical faith. The faith of the New Testament and the Old Testament, both, is very functional. Functional. It's very pragmatic. It's very practical. It's not just faith in the head. It actually impacts the way that you live. Imagine the story of Abraham, the father of the Hebrews, the patriarch of the Jewish faith. This guy is like not perfect, not even close to perfect. He's a very regular guy, but But what I like about Abraham is God calls him to go to a place that he's never been to before. The cool thing is, God had called Abraham's dad to go there. So I imagine Abraham as a boy, starting out on a journey that they never completed and settling. Biblical faith is not about settling. In Christianity, it's more about being a pioneer than a settler. When you go to work tomorrow or whenever you're off to work, when you're connecting with neighbors, when you're back to school, sorry I, sorry to say the S word in, in early August, but when reality, reality settles in again and you think about just getting back to the normal routine, whether that's tomorrow or a month away. It's a little bit intimidating to think about living your faith at work or at school or in the neighborhood. But, but functional faith means taking a little bit of a risk. I'm not saying we're going to start ramming the gospel, the good news of Jesus, down other people's throats. It's not what I'm saying. But to actually care about people to get involved in their lives, to be interested in them. Listen, not as a project like, ooh, you're my my good news evangelism project. I'm going to get Jesus into you. No, I'm just talking about our call 
to be normal people, authentic people, but who love other people in impacting ways. Again, this morning I want you to actually begin to think about, what's that going to look like? Can I let you in on a little hint? A lot of times it looks like cookies or brownies or whatever your cooking niche is. Just, just sharing things, helping other people, loving other people in practical, tangible ways. Maybe helping them move, maybe helping them if there's a hospital situation, taking them in typical SunWest fashion, hooking them up with a casserole. I just love to say that word, casserole. That's a good word. Please do not think about the rhyming options. But functional faith, (laughs) functional faith means doing something practical. And again, this is what Abraham was doing. He, He was called to a place that was a game changer. This place, this land was a place that would later become his inheritance. To get there, he needed to take a risk. Can I suggest you to get to any place that is your inheritance, that is the blessing of God, the fulfillment of God? It's not just going to be good enough to come and sit in church and put a little bit of money in the offering and be nice to others and go to your home group. It's actually going to take engaging in something that's going to stretch you. When's the last time you did something for the first time? When's the last time you found yourself out on a limb saying, if God doesn't come through, this limb is going to break and I'm dead. I'm in big trouble. Again, biblical faith is functional faith. Abraham didn't know where he was going. No safety net, no assurance, only the promise of God and Abraham stepped into it. So first of all, faith is functional Secondly, in verse 9, it says, By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, his son and grandson, who were heirs with him of the same promise. I want you to see, secondly, it's flexible faith. It's intense See how I did that? Yeah. Again, the, the flexibility of a tent is you park it for a while and then you pack up and go. Now, I'm not saying we should all sell our houses and take on a nomadic lifestyle. However, and there is something really profound about flexibility. I've seen the impact of this in Christ followers, their lives. They do things that you think, wow. That's really risky. That's not like everybody else does it. Thinking about a friend of mine who was in my last church. His name was Tony. His wife was Irma. And one Sunday I, I did what I never do. I just threw out my message and said, I want to share something different from my heart. And it was all Tony and Irma's fault because as he was riding to church that morning in his car, he said, God, I need to hear something from you today. I need to make a big decision because how it's going with my family just isn't working. 
Tony and Irma, great folks, steady people, good Dutch family. They, they're hardworking folks. They owned a family business that I understood had been in the family for uh, generations. And it was successful. They're doing well. Again, just, just solid people. But some of their boys, well, their daughter, their eldest daughter, wasn't really living for God. Their boys, they weren't just away from church and away from God. They were, you know, doing drugs. And not just doing drugs, but dealing drugs. And just things were kind of messy. And they had, uh, I don't know if they have five or six kids. They have twins as well. Beautiful, beautiful family. But that morning, Tony just kind of cried out in desperation, God, I need to hear something from you today. So I just felt to lay aside my message. I don't even remember what it was. We're in the middle of a series, and I said, I'm going to come back to the series next week. But that morning, I just felt to share about being entrepreneurial. And Tony, because he was, partly because he was at a desperate place in his life, you know that old saying, desperate times call for jelly beans. Because they're just so soothing and comforting. But they also do call for desperate measures, it's true. So Tony was flexible. Can I just say God uses those seasons in our life? Like, when's the last time you heard somebody say, things are going great in my life? Like, I'm firing on all cylinders, the money's good, the relationships are good, my family's good, everything's great. I need to make some changes right away, <laughs> said no one, ever. <laughs> it's like when things suck, that's when we say, I need to make some changes. Can I just suggest to you, those difficult circumstances, they're not your enemy. A lot of times we need to embrace those as our friend and say, is God maybe leading me to be a little more flexible. Perhaps I need to make some changes. Graham Cook tells us that when God turns up the thermostat, that's when we know it's time to make the changes. That's when we become more pliable, more flexible. Tony and Irma sat through church that morning and they felt all they could hear, all that kept reverberating in their hearts was sell the business, sell the property, liquidate, and move. And they'd been kind of thinking about it, but it just landed on them like a ton of bricks that morning. I love their flexibility. They broke away from the family business. They didn't do anything stupid. They took several months to get the business and the property evaluated, listed it, sold it, waited for the right buyer, and they moved to northern Ontario and bought 12 cottages. A little compound, a little business. Kind of got their family away from all the drug connections, all the... Well, fast forward to now, just over a decade later. Not only are all their kids devoted, devoted Christ followers... The son that was selling drugs, he's a youth pastor. So he really needs prayer now. <laughs> Married a preacher's kid. I've just watched God transform. They started going. They left our church. Again, moved about, I don't know, five or six hours away. Started attending the uh, 
a church of a, a dear friend of mine. So I was able to kind of stay in touch with them and watch what God did. Can I just say, when I talk to Tony and Irma and say, well, you know, what do you attribute the blessing and success of your family to? A big part is attributed to flexibility. Again, if you feel like you're getting hammered circumstantially, all kinds of problems, repeated problems, chronic issues. I'm not saying God's out to get you. I'm not saying God's out to hammer you, but many times those situations are allowed in our lives to get our, our attention to say, what needs to change? A smooth sea, never a skillful sailor made. And there's something about the flexibility of going through difficult times and being trained, being encouraged, being built up by that. Abraham got this. He lived in tents. There was a flexibility that not only affected him, it affected his kids and his kids' kids. And we are sons and daughters of that flexibility today. There's something about being pliable before God. Another characteristic of faith that we see in Hebrews 11 is found in verse 10 as we continue in the story. It says, For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. What a powerful concept here. He was looking forward. Again, I want to suggest to you thirdly that biblical faith is forward faith. I think that was a skittle. <laughs> Dangerous having purple skittles on the stage. I had to deal with that promptly and swiftly. It's all fun and games until somebody goes over on their ankle on a purple skittle. Biblical faith is forward faith. Uh, Abraham here was looking forward to the eternal part of what God was doing. I think that's where a lot of us get hung up is we're forever seeing the temporal. We're forever seeing just the regular circumstance. Oh, I can't. I can't change. I've been in this job for 10, 12, 20, 30. I can't change. I can't change my house. I can't. I mean, we have a plan here. If I'm going to retire, you know, anytime in my 60s, we've we got to stick with this plan. We need to... Hmm. Abraham looked beyond the comfort zone and the reality of what he was presently holding on to, recognizing, no, I'm ready to head out. I'm, I'm ready to step into a place where I've never been before, where I don't know where I'm going because I can see eternity. The scripture says that God has set eternity in our hearts. You're, you're not just a temporal being. It's not just whatever, 70, 80, or whatever years God gives you, and then boom, you're done. You're eternal. Within you is a spirit that lives forever. If anything, that can motivate you not to live by fear, but to see that this season of whatever God gives you, 60 or 80 or 100 years, this is very finite compared with eternity. And when I see people holding on to their lives with every last breath, not willing to change, I think that's, that's not biblical. So many times, again, with 
next month I'll be celebrating 30 years in ministry. I'll tell you something, 30 years being a pastor, being in ministry. I've been to many bedsides of people that are in their last few moments of life. And it's tragic to see some of them grasping onto their final breaths, filled with regret, filled with dismay. Because they've been trying to hold on to something that is like a vapor. Again, the scripture says life's, life's like a vapor. And then I've been at the bedside of other people who've lived good lives, who've honored God, who've taken some chances. I've actually heard out of people's mouths, I have no regrets, Pastor. To see the smile, to see the peace, to float in and out of consciousness, to have their visions of eternity. And so often people see their moms in those last days. They're crying out for their mom or their dad, even if they're 80 or a hundred years old. It's a beautiful thing to see the peace that overcomes their hearts because they've been living not just the last couple years, not even the last decade, but that many of these folks have lived their whole lives with a focus on eternity. Not just on Freedom 55. Not just on how am I going to make it through the next year, the next month, or the next week. But people who are living for eternity. That's how Abraham lived. He was looking for the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. That's forward faith. Wow, halfway done. This is beautiful. Look at these verses. Hebrews eleven eleven. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age... And Sarah herself was barren. He was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Powerful metaphor here. Abraham, past age, expired. Again, his August 27th date on his best before packaging was, speaking of, you know, 1983, August 27th. Abraham was past age. He's in his early 90s. Remember the angels, the visitors, they came to him and they said, Hey, Abram. You're going to be the father of many nations. (laughs) I don't have any kids. I'm in my 90s. How's this going to happen? Look at me. I'm a withered old bag of bones. I'm not having kids. I I want you to get the impetus of what this scripture is talking about. It's this incredible sense of futility. Abraham is past his due date. And then it goes to even more graphic language with his wife. And his wife, Sarah, also in her 90s, was barren. I hate that word. Again, I've journeyed with many couples that have struggled with infertility. And and as, as, as harsh and as strong of a word as infertility is, barren? Like you're going to compare 
uh, a dear couple that's trying to have a baby and you're going to compare them to a desert? Oh, it's like grossly powerful imagery. So you got Abraham, he's expired. You got Sarah, she's a, she's a wilderness. <laughs> and yet they have faith. I mean, initially they laugh. And, you know, you, you kind of kind of cut them some slack here. When you say to a 90-year-old couple, hey, you're not just going to have kids. You're going to be the father and mother of many nations. I always admire couples, families that just keep believing. That just keep trusting God even when it's impossible. Because the same chapter, Hebrews 11, tells us that without faith it's impossible to please God. But anybody that comes to him has to believe he exists. And that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. I've shared this before. It's all about being earnest. Earnest people come to church. Earnest people go to Bible study. Earnest people go to their home group. Earnest people keep praying, keep believing. Earnest people go to camp. That's a classic literary reference, just in case you were wondering. There's something about the stubbornness of people that even when they get the doctor's report, they say, I believe. I hear what you're saying, but I believe. You guys know Elle, our daughter. She sometimes sits up here playing cello. I think it was last Sunday she was playing guitar and singing with uh, someone else who was leading. <laughs> Alyssa, that's right. Alyssa Hoagie was leading. Sorry, I just... I remember my daughter because she's so cute. <laughs> Alyssa's cute too. Granted. But I remember before Elle came along, Elle was our third, you know, and my wife and I, we were old and advanced in years. And as we were trying for our third child, it, it took a while. I mean, normally it would take a day. Uh, but, but this particular instance with Elle, it seemed to take several weeks. I mean, it wasn't like an infertility situation like Abraham and Sarah. But I remember my wife saying, I'm pregnant. And I'm like, how do you know? Because I'm a guy. Uh, I'm just kind of thick. And uh, my wife said, well, I'm a little late. Uh, I said, well, did you do the on the stick thing. She said, yeah, I did a few. They're all negative, but I'm pregnant. So how do you know? Well, been here a couple times before. I know when I'm pregnant. So it actually took another week or two. And then she was still getting some negatives on the whole urine stick phenomenon. What a treat. And then finally she started getting a couple positive tests. So she goes to the doctor to confirm, get the blood test. Blood, blood test right away comes back negative. Hmm. And my wife says to the doctor, the 
test is negative. I know I've only gotten one positive pregnancy, but I'm telling you, I'm pregnant. And the doctor says, well, if you want, you can come back in a few days. My wife goes back in a few days and has another blood test, and this one also comes back negative. And she says to my wife, you know, this is pretty conclusive results. You're not pregnant. And my wife says, I'm telling you, I'm pregnant. Like, you don't mess with a lady, first of all. But messing, like, with a pregnant lady, that's just dumb. <laughs> so my wife comes back home. By now, she's getting all kinds of positive tests with the stick and the pee. Um, and we talk about it, we pray about it, and we know in our hearts that L is in there. The third time my wife goes back to the doctor, the doctor says... After a negative result again, the doctor says, takes her by the hands, looks her in the eye and says, now, Tammy, this is our blood test. Three times, this is our gold seal test. It measures ECG, the growth hormone of the baby, and yours is way below where it would be if you had any sign of life inside of you. Now, if you'd like, I could give you this special pill. Just clean everything out. I'm so thankful my wife said no to that pill. Or we wouldn't have a cellist in our home. We wouldn't have this beautiful young lady that's, she's just sunshine. She's just delight. Because my wife knew in her heart that the promise of the Lord was being fulfilled inside her body. Didn't matter what the doctor said. And then a couple weeks later, my wife's ECG hormone goes through the roof. She has a blood test and the doctor says, wow, was I ever wrong? <laughs> so glad I didn't give you that pill. Oh, the one that you offered? Murderer. <laughs> so, you know, no pressure. All I'm saying is when you, when you know in your heart that God has promised you something, church, come hell or high water, hold on to the promise of God. Because the thing that you know by faith is more true than all the reality that you see around you. That's why the Apostle Paul said, we walk by faith and not by sight. Something so incredibly powerful about faith that goes beyond the negative reports, goes beyond the futility. And it's also faith to father. Oh, I love this one. Again, here's Abraham in his 90s. And God says, you're going to be the father of many nations. He goes on to say, as numerous as the stars in the heaven or sand on the seashore. That's how many offspring you're going to have. Anybody here ever been to a beach? I'm not going on till somebody raises a hand. Oh, thank you. Bless you. Thank you. I know pretty much all of you have been to a beach. But I'm going to let it go this time. You keep sleeping. I'll keep talking. Imagine God giving you a promise. You're going to have as many kids as there are grains of sand on the seashore. I mean, I've, I've done the math. That's lots. 
And sure enough, just a few generations later, Bible scholars estimate that close to probably at least two or three, but easily four million people left Egypt. Abraham's offspring, the time of the Exodus. So God fulfilled his promise. It didn't happen immediately, but it did happen. So here's the thing. Does Abraham sit around and wait for divine conception, immaculate conception, like Jesus and Mary and Holy Spirit kind of come overshadowing Mary and boom, she's pregnant. Abraham, in his 90s, shows up. I imagine Abraham, again, this, this, again, it's, it's kind of comedic. And, and that's what I want you to see is the absurdity of the situation. Is Abraham on the way home, he pops in at Sobeys, gets some fresh cut flowers, hops on the camel, goes into the glove compartment there on the first hump, <laughs> pulls out the aqua velva. Because when you're in your 90s, that's the fragrance of preference. So he splashes on the aqua velva, heads back to the tent, and as his camel comes up to the tent, Honey, I'm home! Pulls the flowers out from behind his back. He hops off the camel, kind of slides off. Sarah pokes her head out the tent flap, and Abraham says, Baby, you look hot in a burka. Literally. (laughs) And he hands her the flowers. And again, Abraham in his 90s shows up. Crazy stuff, right? 90-year-olds in love. I'm not trying to be crass. I just want you to see this is absurd stuff. God gave Abraham a promise and Abraham made good with Sarah. Imagine him as he's affectionately speaking to his wife and she's like, ooh, Abraham, what's gotten into you? And Abraham responds, faith. I know it's impossible, but God said we're going to have babies, lots of them, numerous as the stars in the heaven, the sand on the seashore. Oi, Abraham, you're going to kill me. (laughs) Here's the deal. Every single person in this room When it comes to kingdom stuff, you have been called to reproduce. Scripture says, he who wins souls is wise. God has placed a calling on every one of us to be spiritual moms and dads, to share our faith with people, to to encourage them and to bless them. And I've shared the message on Genesis 38, the power of reproduction. You can look that up in our sermon archives. I'm not going to go into that any further this morning because we're out of time. But suffice to say, 
God wants you to reproduce the kingdom in other people. And of the increase of his government, there will be no end. We're almost done here. Verse 39, I want to jump to the end of the chapter and talk about the fulfillment as we close. At the end of this chapter, it says, these were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. The next chapter, chapter 12, goes into running the race metaphor, but the metaphor actually starts here. Again, the Olympic Games that we're celebrating this week We're actually all over this context that the Apostle Paul was writing from. The Apostle Paul was very familiar with the Olympic imagery. And even then, one of the highlights, one of the greatest races was the 4 by 100 meter relay. Probably not the same precise distances, but the concept of running with a baton was popular in the first century. Where do you put your best runner in a relay race? Sorry? Yeah. Your final leg is the strongest runner. Here you're seeing Hussein Bolt, the fastest man in the world, taking the baton to run the final leg. I know a lot of times we, we look at Bible stories, we look at the scripture and think, oh man, if I could just have the faith of Abraham, if I could just have the faith of Elijah or Elisha, if I could just have the faith of Moses, if I could have the faith of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, man, if I could have their faith, then I'd be doing something. I love what the Apostle Paul does here. He says, you know what, we've just been through a whole chapter talking about Hebrews, great Israelites, great Jewish folks in the Old Testament. They never finished the race. They never received the promise of God. God had something better planned for us. Only together with us would they be made perfect or complete. The metaphor here is of running the race. The implication from Paul is we're the final leg. We're the final leg. We're the strongest leg. It's not about us just saying, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not like those guys in the Bible. You're right. You have all the benefit of everything that they have ever learned and received. And you think, well, if I just could have been one of the disciples, Jesus said, listen, I'm going so that I can send someone to give you power, to strengthen you, to help you. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. Jesus said, greater things will you do than these. Folks, you need to understand this morning, we are the anchor leg. 
Biblical faith is about fulfilling everything that's happened behind us in thousands of years of church history and, and Bible history. It comes down to generations like ours who will fulfill the promises of God, who will receive biblical faith and say, yeah, I'm going to do it. Jesus said he wasn't going to come back until his truth had been preached to all nations, all ethnos, all people groups. Folks, we're not even close yet. We're not even close. I mean, I believe Jesus could come back virtually any time except for this promise he made that he's not coming back until everybody has a chance to hear. Not every person, but every people group. We are the fulfillment. We are the anchor leg. We are the ones who by faith say, I'm going to finish the race. So as we close this morning, I'm going to invite the worship team to come. I just want to encourage you to appropriate and activate your faith. To take a risk. I don't know what it is that God is calling you to do. But I want to encourage you this morning to strap on your helmet and not just spectate, but participate. Not just think about what you're going to do for the kingdom, but actually step into the things that God has put in your heart. To walk in complete obedience and take a risk for God. Just want to remind you once again, Randall has product out in the foyer. Ask Randall to just lead us in a song. And then in a couple minutes, I'd like to just come back, encourage you briefly, send you off with a prayer and a blessing before you go. Thanks, Randall.